Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard And today is 10am I feel so cute Walking in the rain with an umbrella <laughs> It's not raining too hard so I figure I might as well go ahead and do my walk um, Little sprinkles outside It's nice, it's nice But um, yesterday I did stuff as usual. <laughs> uh, I think the highlights of yesterday was was um, doing, starting a bunch of projects. <laughs> Not really a bunch, but the one started this uh, emotional wheel thing. So I'm not sure if you've seen an emotional wheel going around on Twitter. But somebody on Discord saw it on my Discord community, and it was like, oh, that would be so cool to have, but it's really hard to read because it's the wheel, right? It's like a, some parts, like, you got the words, you know, not all straight. Sometimes you got to turn your head to read the words, and that's not really, you know, easy to uh, to, to, to read, of course. <laughs> um, but I've seen that emotional wheel before. I was going to use it in um, one of the startups I was working with so I was like oh wow I can I was actually building something around that so I figured hey what if I uh, kind of built an interactive wheel or you know some a version of this that you can actually use and read you know would you like to have that and it was like yeah sure I was like oh cool so <laughs> um, I'm gonna try to do that that's gonna help me to get in more practice of um, designing little small things that are useful for people and um, practicing you know my visual design interaction design stuff like that and uh, seeing where that goes so I'm excited to do that another thing is um, in one of my um, the new anarchist discord I was in somebody in there was like hey we need to do a channel where we share like Ideas and news and all that stuff from a far left or you know anarchist kind of perspective, <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. That's somewhat you know related to things I'm, I'm interested in doing. I've been learning about anarchy and everything like that. I'm excited to share more on that. So I figured, hey, I'd love to be a part of that. So I had to talk with somebody who wants to do that so we're going to start to see where that goes I'm not sure how it's going to play out exactly <laughs> we had a great conversation about what they're interested in, in doing and, and their own topics they're interested in which is around like climate um, and technology and uh, I forgot what else they said but overall seemed promising so I look forward to seeing how this goes um what else I think that's the main new projects uh, on my on my I don't know I still don't have an actual name for it I've been calling it Project Sankofa but uh it's for my kind of self-fulfillment project kind of business that I want to build 
creating something so that to make it easier for people to experience transcendence and self-fulfillment and all this other stuff found somebody who was really interested in um, my research plan for that wanted to help out with that so really excited to see where that goes as well so all around is pretty I guess you can say productive <laughs> um, also had a conversation with the arcade team with trying to see how it might work if I could you know actually work at the arcade back at the arcade unfortunately we haven't found any any anything solid but figured that uh might have to work if I if I do take this opportunity it won't be enough to get my own place unfortunately especially with rent how it is right now rent is like, like stupid high at the moment because in that area just a few years ago like two or three years ago it used to be like you could literally find an apartment for 800 or 8 to 900 maybe you know up to 1000 1200 at max for you know regular kind of apartments not, not anything luxurious but you know just decent but now you'll be hard pressed to find anything under 1500 1500 which is kind of crazy uh, most of them are around closer to 2000 for an area that's not even close to the city. It's like still a 30, 40 minute drive from the city outside the perimeter in Duluth area. Um, so it's kind of, it, it really is insane. I'm not sure what's going on with the housing market. Probably part of the pandemic, you know, people were inside, not moving around as much or something. I don't know. Um, but I won't be able to afford that. So... <laughs> was thinking about either doing a type of I might have to roommate with somebody be a roommate because you can go on Facebook marketplace and find some people who are subleasing or are looking for roommates I'm able to find something like that for under a thousand but if I do that route most likely will not be able to move in with my partner which sucks but it will be, you know, a little bit better, hopefully. And the idea there is that if I do, if I do that, I'll be a little bit closer to the job. I could probably find a place that's closer to the job, rather. And um, either I won't need a car, or I'll, or I won't, I won't need to drive as much. And so I can save up. You know, kind of better than I would here, because here it's an hour drive, and um, that that's still my third option. But um, if I move closer, live with the roommates, or whatever, pay under a thousand a month, then if I don't have a car, then you know I'll be able to save up a little bit more. Of course, if I do have a car, I'll be able to move around a little bit more. Visit my partner, you know, do little deliveries or whatever else that we need for the arcade and stuff like that um but overall it's you know it is what it is but the third option is stay here where i'm at now and still get a car or and get a car and drive further try to do that hour drive each day which will be two hours um 
the worries for that is that I really don't like driving for them <laughs> it's not like it's and it's I don't like driving because I feel anxious like it's, it's kind of dangerous <laughs> for me to drive like it's really hard for me to focus and this, this is actually another reason why I really want to get diagnosed and see if I have like ADHD or not or if I'm just you know um weird but uh it, it's it's extremely difficult for me to focus when I'm driving and the most like a 30 minute drive is pretty much my max <laughs> for being able to focus um pretty well and even then you know it's when I have some good music going on um things like that when I'm not tired I took a recent nap or anything like that so if I'm if I'm thinking about this drive I know I can probably figure it out but I'm not gonna lie it's it's still a lot more risk to drive a whole hour you know um every day to and from and the the, the biggest thing I'm worried about is the night drive right because um, I'll be more tired, more prone to mistakes, and you know, lack of lack of attention and things like that. And even now, I don't usually drive at night very often. Um, if I have to, I might go to get my you know sister or something from work. Um, but she's like 10, 15 minute drive away, so it's not even not even that big a deal. But driving for an hour, you know after work <laughs> after uh, and it, it's a customer service type of job so it's not like i'm going to be sitting around i'm be moving you know especially on the weekends our busiest times i'm gonna be tired <laughs> i know those I, I remember how how tired i was you know with those things um usually i would uh go to sleep on the way home like <laughs> that's i would get a lot of napping in on the bus even though it's a three you know three hour ride or because it's a three-hour ride, I would sleep almost every time. As soon as I hit that bus, hit that train, out. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of worried about that. But I know I can figure it out if I if need be. But it is a it is a risk. It is something to keep in mind. So those are my kind of options there. Either either get a place, get a roommate. Or go into one of these places that asking for a roommate. Um, get my own car and stay here. I guess the the first option or the third option, however you want to count it, is um, trying to earn more mo earn earn more money to get our own place together with my partner. Um, so that will require me to find an, another job for now, <laughs> which would be weird. Maybe drive for Uber or something like that, um, which we were looking at. We were like, uh, we're like, we're really not sure if that will work, but we'll see. Um, or if I can find another contract or something, you know, and see where that goes. But yeah, those are my options for that. It's not ideal. None of this is ideal, but it's 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 uh, an opportunity. So. I don't know. But in other news, I'm really excited to to jump on these projects. To have a whole bunch of projects going. And to see where it goes. <laughs> to see how much I can keep up with. 
kind of reminds me of uh, what Gary Vee said about <laughs> what he does. He kind of keeps, you know, nine plates up or 12, 20 plates in the air and, you know, nine of them crash or whatever. But the other ones are going. <laughs> and um, I know that sounds kind of crazy to some people. It sounds crazy to me in some ways. But in other ways, it made a lot of sense, too. Because, like, I mentioned this before. I really enjoy doing a bunch of projects at once. You know, it's not exactly multitasking. Multitasking is not really ideal. I'm not going to say I'm good at multitasking at all. I like to focus in the moment on certain things. But switch tacking, tw tacking, switch tasking, definitely. Right? Every few minutes, not every few minutes, but like every cycle of your Australian rhythm, which is, you know, depends on your energy levels. It could be 20, 30, up to 90 minutes. You know, switch to a different task. That really keeps me alert throughout the day. Keeps me engaged. So, what I want to do is kind of list out all the projects I'm going to do, going to be doing. And then, see how many of them I can do per day. Or maybe some of them I do in one day, some of them I do in another day. Kind of alternate it. And, um, see what I can make happen. Planting seeds, as they say. And uh, seeing how much they grow, which, which ones grow. So I'm very excited to do that. That's going to be what I'm going to do when I get home. Also want to do better with uh, getting back to some of my other habits. Like yoga, doing yoga and calisthenics. Um, I've been walking re really regularly, so I, I do enjoy doing this. And I want to keep that up. But when I get back... After my walk, I want to do like a little yoga session, exercise se session. So to do that, I'm going to probably do something where I take my yoga mat out, put it, you know, from the door or something like that. Put it, make it obvious reminder so I don't ignore it and go ahead and move forward with that. And um, what else? Another thing I've been really excited about is this uh, the story idea, my my book idea to write about three or even up to like ten different futures that are all positive, not utopian, but positive. Right? They're better than this world. I've been really thinking about that for a while now. So I would love to do that. So oh, I think that's, I'm going to put that into one of my projects. But because I'm so excited to do that, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it now. <laughs> Just kind of get some initial ideas out of my head. Um, and kind of see how it, how it feels, how it might, how it might flow. So uh, let's go. <laughs> okay, so... The type of futures, I think, well, I want to see if I can do some realistic world building with these futures. I want to base it in our world. And I was kind of seeing, I might, I'm, I'm really excited to do a space opera type of thing, to do way in the future. But I think what we really need right now, what I need, what other people need, is something in a close future, like in the next, 
I don't want to say 10. 10 is a bit soon, but I can try it. But definitely 20, 30, 50 years, right? Within our lifetime, within the lifetime of most people alive today. To give people kind of hope and ideas as to, you know, what, what kind of, what can we hope for? Like, there's always this doomsday type of scenarios. There's always this, oh, what a society is collapsing and all this type of stuff scenarios. But, or it might get worse, like, even if society just doesn't collapse, it becomes more, you know, um, cyberpunk type of type of thing. And I don't like that. <laughs> you know, a lot of people like to be like, oh, yeah, cyberpunk. That's a fun future. But no, not really. We don't actually want to live in that type of future. Most people don't. Um, but the problem is that most people can't really imagine, you know, what, what life would be like. If either, you know, without capitalism or even if there's a positive capitalism, like, you know, what does a, a quote unquote humanistic capital, capitalism look like? Like there's people trying to do that sort of thing. Andrew Yang. So what I want to do is kind of pursue all of these. Let's say, OK, here's one with humanistic capitalism. If we if we if we maintain capitalism, is it possible? And what 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 would that look like? Number two is a socialistic approach, you know? A lot of people looking forward to socialism or even <laughs> communism. So I'm, I wanna really, 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 you know, chase that. Like, okay, we think we want communism, so what does that look like? Or socialism, whatever. Like, what does that look like? What does that really look like? I'm not, I'm not talking about the, oh, it's never worked because Venezuela. Like, no, no, let's look at, yes, there's some historical things, but let's look at if people if people were in the, not even the ideal situation, but if people were just, you know, a little bit logical, <laughs> right? A little bit, they just kind of implemented this and not, maybe not the best case scenario, but in a decent case scenario, right? Because the future is never like the best or the worst. It's usually a combination of both, <laughs> um, kind of averaging out in a way. Or sometimes it is really bad, but there's also some really good aspects to it, or vice versa. So what would that look like, you know? If we really pursued a socialistic kind of society, uh, I would, of course, start in with America, just because that's what I'm familiar with. But I would love to um, kind of have a global appeal, have a, a global perspective as well. And then, my favorite is an anarchic situation. What would it look like if we have almost pure anarchy where states and and um, governments and things like that, companies even collapse? I don't want to say collapse, but like, will we, will we purposely and, you know, <laughs> and um, kind of fluidly disseminate them, you know, just kind of evaporate them <laughs> without too much harm? Right, and we create from that, from those pieces, a bunch of anarchic, a federation of anarchies, and things like that. What would that look like? I think those are the three futures I'm gonna start with, and maybe in like the end of the book, I'm gonna have a few more, a couple, like half a dozen other futures that could be, you know, ideas. 
and maybe even one for fun, like a fantasy future. What if there's magic? <laughs> what might that look like? And maybe for fun too, a, a little space opera future, <laughs> going far in the future. You know, what could that look like? Um, I think that's kind of my spread so far. Again, I want this to be highly researched. I don't want this to be just a um, just a guess or whatever. I want this to be highly researched, but just because I want to kind of share, kind of play out my ideas a little bit right now. Based on my intuition, here are some of the some of the ideas I think. You know, these might look like these are some of the initial kind of things these these might look like. So, starting with um, I guess the capitalism one. Say we, we say we do humanistic capitalism. Capitalism maintains. What would a better society look like? A global, you know, perspective. Well, I think number one, the main problem we have to solve with capitalism is exploitation is the idea that capitalism comes at the cost of somebody else, of the global south, of the consumers, um, environment. We get to solve that problem, right? Make it more humanistic, such that it's every single company or whatever has a triple bottom line, which is humans, the, the um, betterment of not just raising of profit, but raising of kind of human quality of life um, and the environment. So environment, humans, and profit. Right? So profit, and I think the best way to, to kind of tie these together, again, this is just based on my intuition, is to, is to tie profit to human quality of life and to environmental um, homeostasis. Right, ecological balance. To do that, that means you have to measure these things, right? And I think kind of the best way to measure quality of life of humans is to look at the story of transcendence, of fulfillment. It's positive psychology, pointing out that people's quality of life is more than just happiness, it's more than just comfort. It's things like resilience, it's things like openness to experience, it's things like belonging and purpose and things like that, right? All on the firm foundation of security, um, which is safety, esteem, and connection. So if that's true, if that is the best way to measure quality of life, then it also solves the next problem, which I was going to kind of get into is the, the problem of measurement, right? Where you don't want the measurement to become the goal. You want people to say, oh, um, my quality of life index has moved up two points and therefore I'm happy. No, you want the measurement to just be a after effect, to be like a it's actual measurement, right? It's like you're measuring your weight only um, as a as a rough indicator, only as a like a, a, a kind of back end indicator of your progress. It, it's not you're not shooting 
you're not aiming to to become smaller, to become more comfortable or whatever, right? You're aiming to just live a better quality of life. And the way you can see that your quality of life is improving is through all these different measurements. And so, for the quality of life measurement, it's actually going to be a constellation of things, right? It's going to be maybe on a monthly, maybe even on the weekly, monthly, yearly basis. I guess you can do daily, but I don't know. But on a regular basis, you measure, say, okay, um, how many new experiences have I had? You know, what's the threshold for new experiences that I'm comfortable with? Or rather that, that I want to have. Maybe there's some indicator that says, hey, you need to have more. <laughs> All right. His dog going off. Oh, my goodness. You need to have more experiences. You know, it says, hey, um, I don't want to say this amount of experiences is ideal, but more like, um, well, like last year you had, you know, you, you had roughly two or three experiences. Right? You, you traveled somewhere, you learned a, a new, you read a new book or something like that. And um, this year you can, you know, have a little bit more. And have five new experiences, so it's kind of it could be self-set, but um, it will be based on like yourself. It, you don't have to compare it with other people unless you want to. But I, I'm kind of nervous about that because you don't want people to get into a whole competitive edge type of thing. They're worried more about competing to see who can have the most experiences or anything like that. Like uh, I don't think that's the best way. <laughs> that kind of brings out and encourages. Um, the wrong sort of behavior. I say the wrong as in things that are self-destructive, right? Kind of self-destructive behavior that's kind of myopic. It seems like it's, oh, yes, competition is good. You know, um, we know that competition and kind of encourages people to, to be motivated and things like that. But we also know that usually, oftentimes, many people, competition brings out you know, anxiety and and um, kind of arrogance and kind of zero sum mentality, right? Where you have to have winners and losers. I don't think we want to. I think this is a thing that we're learning about capitalism is that we don't want to live in a society where there are winners and losers. At least on a global scale, right? You know, there's people that would disagree with me. I say, oh, you have to have, you know, something to motivate people or whatever. You have to have, oh, you can't say everybody's a winner because, you know, blah, 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 blah. But we just know from psychology, right, that if you have people that are regarded as, you know, winners and losers, you have, you, you start to create this, um, why can I, I always forget this word. Why do I always, um, arrogance. It starts with the N. Narcissism, goodness, my words. <laughs> but yeah, you, you start to create this narcissistic te- um, kind of ecology, this nice, narcissistic environment when you have a com- competitive landscape. And I, I, th- I think we've kind of, I hope that we've learned our lesson about that, right? That we don't really want to live in a world full of narcissistic people. And I don't just mean narcissistic, because this is what we're learning too, it's not just. Um, 
the typical narcissistic people who are, you know, overly arrogant about, you know, all the things they're learning or all the things they do and they, they achieved, but also vulnerable narcissistic people. The people who are, who are kind of have this broken mentality who are what, what people would say they have a victim mentality, right? Say, oh, it's, you know, I don't have to get into that, but the problem is that we, we know this is a, a kind of condition. We know this is a, a problem of not just people being um, typically narcissistic, but vulnerably narcissistic too. So a lot of that stems from that having a competitive landscape. So if you actually want to, you know, reward people for doing good things, right? You actually don't want to necessarily punish people for doing bad things. Because number one, bad is a <laughs> is a unclear idea in many ways. Usually bad is a result of an, you know, inopportune environment. I don't want to get too much down. I'm already getting a little bit too much in the weeds for, for just this idea session, but suffice to say that <laughs> a cooperative type of landscape would be better, you know, for this sort of thing. So anyways, going all the way back, let's back up. Let's get back to the, the topic at hand. So the measurements for capitalism, for human, humanistic capitalistic society, I think will have to be a triple bottom line. But the baseline will be humans and environment, quality of life and environmental um, balance. And profit should be as a result of that. How would that look like? I'm not sure exactly. Maybe smart contracts, you know, type of thing to where it says, you know, if you really say your product is going to improve your customers or the environment's you know, kind of uh, life. Let's, let's say your, your product is to, you know, you want to have a product of a car. You say your car is going to, um, well, that's the thing too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is how we can tie it together. So whenever people create a product, you have to, you have to be real about what the result of that product is. Like, what, what is the purpose of this product? Is it to, you know, help a human? Is it to help the environment or whatever or vice versa or both? If it's to help a human, we have to say, okay, how do you plan to help that human? Like, you, you say you make an app to, you know, connect with more humans, <laughs> to increase your friendships online. Then we have to actually measure that and say, okay, when people pay for this product, you know, if it's a membership or whatever, a subscri a subscription or... Uh, even the advertisements, right? That money is not released to you until you make a measurable increase in their friendships. So every week or every month or every year, we measure, you know, how many um, relationships has it improved? You know, did they have more friends this year? Are those relationships closer? Because that's another thing, right? You, you, you also don't, you also want to kind of change it. You don't want to have say oh every year you have to make another friendship or another right it's not like it's not you don't want you don't want a a infinitely increasing progression system 
Um, that's another thing that I think will be super important for an, a capitalistic thing is that it has to be based on the, on on the on donut donut economics deal donut economics action lab where they point out how a huge problem with capitalism today and the reason why it's very exploitive is because it has an inevitable or rather a an um, infinite kind of growth scenario where it says you know progress has to increase every year no matter what <laughs> which is kind of dumb when you ask because if you're, if you're saying profit has to always increase then where where's that how is that profit increasing like where's that going to come from it has to come from somewhere right people have this idea that just just magically you can make more money <laughs> but that money has to come from somewhere right it comes from consumers it comes from cutting costs it comes from you know earning uh, owning the rights of property and all this other stuff so it kind of encourages bad behaviors it encourages um, exploitation of the environment of people so instead we should kind of cap it say look for this growth and then once you get to this growth look to maintain that growth right for stability and that should be good for many people right you don't have to have a growth that is infinite you can just get to you know whatever is and it has to depend on like the the industry but whatever is like a decent amount of money for that space Right, it could be a hundred million a year, it could be a million a year, it could be, you know, maybe even a billion a year. I doubt it though. <laughs> That's another thing, right? For economics, for a humanistic capitalistic society, we have to realize that big corporations aren't necessarily good. All right, we shouldn't necessarily seek to create big corporations because what we're actually doing is seeking to create monopolies or oligopolies. And that's, I hope we've learned our lesson from that, right? That's not ideal. If we want to have more people be entrepreneurs, then we should cap it. And I'm, I'm not saying through regulations per se, I'm not sure. But I do think if, the, if we do pass regulations in that space, it should be, I think, around, you know, um, encouraging competition. Or collaboration, rather. Like I said, competition kind of creates a uh, negative landscape. So what if we have, we say, hey, um, cap it at the Dunbar's number, you know, a couple hundred people, maybe a couple thousand, but that's it. After that, if you want to grow, if you, if you want to work on bigger projects, if you want to do anything, you work with other people. You have to have a cooperative type of landscape, Right. And then, of course, we have, like I said, it's not perfect. You're going to have problems in the space of, you know, people creating, like, um, what do you call it? Cartels type of, type of thing, right? So we have to figure out how to solve that. But I think that would be a better landscape. Not cartels, but the reason why cartels are so problematic today is, again, you have this oligopoly type of thing. Where you have a winner-take-all type of scenario. Instead of a winner-take-all scenario... You have a. You want to encourage an environment where everybody wins. I think that would be a best way for humanistic capitalism. So to recap, have a triple bottom line: humans, environment, and profit. The profit is based on the humans, and augmented by the environment. I need to get that into that yet, but 
So the environment can be a multiplier or a divider, right? So if for instance, you come up with a car and you say, you know, the purpose of this car is to get people from point A to point B, the divider would be, or the multiplier would be, okay, but what's the, what's the environmental impact? You know, how many CO2 emissions? Or what's the, um, how are the, the, the materials sourced for your car? Like, where does that come from? For, for every, you know, negative kind of export, exploitative nature. So, for instance, you know, your, your uh, materials comes from um, slave labor in Africa <laughs> or China. Right? You get docked. And that money goes towards that community. So you don't earn profit on anything that you export from the environment or the people in that environment. And so that actually requires, you know, of course, more transparency in the supply chain, which encourages use of blockchain, which is a decentralized, you know, network. So it's it's better it's it becomes a better system because everybody can see your supply chain right people can enforce this um as a group today you know in order for you to do something like that you would have to create some crazy amount of administrators who can go around looking at you know people's stuff and all this other stuff it's it's a lot <laughs> but hopefully a blockchain type of uh, scenario type of environment will make that easier I know there's a lot of details we have to figure out there, but again, this is kind of an idea session. I need to <laughs> got to stop myself from getting too much into the details right now. So that's roughly kind of my ideas for a humanistic capitalistic system. Um, chip bottom line, human, human. Look at the human um, quality of life improvement to base what your profits is going to, you know, to to release your profits those profits are going to be augmented by the environmental impact. If it's a negative environmental impact, the profit gets docked and goes to the environment, to either the people in that environment or, you know, organizations focused on improving the environment. And if it helps the environment, if it creates more ecological stability and, and diversity and things like that, then you get a um, multiplier, right? You can actually earn more profit from being environmentally healthy. Exactly. Uh, uh, there's a lot of details you have to figure out, but that's kind of my ideas on that so far. Um, for a socialistic space. In this space, you know, you have to realize what we're talking about here. When we say socialism, communism, whatever, what we're actually talking about here is making sure that there is a safety net. At least to my understanding, right? Making sure there's a social net that um, the means of, pro of production are not owned by any private enterprise but are in the public good so what that means is that every time we find you know a new resource or is there you know there's resources right now all that is not owned by a profit a, a thing a you know private thing it's all owned by the public so maybe by that nation or you know um, anything like that and so to, to, to facilitate that, again, you're going to have to probably use a blockchain type of scenario. Right? Tie every resource to a blockchain. Maybe one blockchain or different ones for different cryptocurrencies or whatever. But I'm thinking to tie your resources to the blockchain. 
And so if you want to use, you know, um, oil from a certain place or metals from a certain place, right, you actually have to um, pay. Maybe, I'm not sure, maybe you have to pay or maybe you can just, you know, pull it out of that blockchain. Maybe, you, you know, do a API call type of thing <laughs> um, to use that. But either way, is the point is that because you put it on a blockchain, because you've measured it, because you know how much is there, how much is available, and it's in the public, then you also know who is using it, right? If somebody wants to use, you know, certain types of materials or resources or whatever from the environment, um, it's in a public blockchain, and it's again, it's transparent. I guess the theme here is transparency. <laughs> um, you have these resources in a transparent system, so every time somebody uses it, you know who is using it, you know what they're using it for, you know where it's going, and you know how much is being used. And so you can do calculations. You can say, hey, um, we don't have enough for you know infinite growth, or we don't have enough for this project or that project, and so can you do something to where it's, um, it's kind of better set up? To where you know less people are like your product doesn't have to use as much and we can use the rest for you know this other project so it kind of facilitates more communication hopefully right and the reason why it will be better that it's not going to be another you know i don't know cuba or venezuela or whatever is because it's all in the public right nobody has control over this that's the, and i don't know why people ignore this idea but the problem of like a lot of socialistic and communistic kind of things in the future is not because it was in a public. It was because it had it was centrally planned. It, it's because, you know, a, a group of people, you know, Stalin or whatever, were able to control everything. And they were the ones who decided who gets what. If you do a public blockchain and all you have to do is get an API call or anybody can do an API call. Maybe you can add permissions, maybe. Just to, just to have better kind of safety. Maybe it's based on, you know, um, who does what work, right? If you're a cobbler, if you're a shoe cobbler, you know, you can get more more access to certain, to, to the resources meant for shoe cobbling. Or if you want to create cell phones, you know, your company gets the amount that you need to like you put in a, a, a thing that says, hey, I want to create a, a million cell phones, <laughs> right? So I'm going to need this amount of resources. And then you put in that API call and it gives you those amount of resources. So you see, it's not based on some party, some human having control over it. It's all an automated system. I think that's the kind of future, the ideal future for socialism or communism, right? It's just, if, to my Again, this is just my intuition, my kind of ignorant kind of viewpoint, but if we, from what I've seen, the main downfalls of, of socialism and con communism is that it's people trying to decide who gets what. And usually they're corruptible, right? Usually they just take all the resources and, <laughs> you know, give things to their friends or, or who agrees with them or whatever. So instead, we put it in a public system, transparent, blah, 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 right? Simple. <laughs> Clearly it's not going to be that simple, but that's kind of my idea on this so far. And... Um, to go over to anarchy i talked about this a lot already so i'm not going to go too much into it right now but for this the whole purpose here is to say we don't need nations we don't need companies um, or big companies right we don't need big communities 
everything should be a hyper local community you lose you use the stuff in your community if you want other stuff you trade with other people right so this solves the problem of um power power um what'd you call it power aggregation resource resource uh aggregation things like that right in which case it's somewhat similar to the humanistic capitalism scenario where you kind of cap communities but not just companies but communities in general at the Mars number and communities means any grouping of people that means you don't actually need or 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 you know want a nation right you have open borders there is no america there's a, a whole like millions of small communities full of hundreds or thousands of people Again, maybe you cap it at a thousand, maybe you cap it at two thousand or something like that. Maybe people make cases to cap it at ten thousand. I don't know. But the point is that you don't want to go much above that. You don't want nations and states. Why? Because you want a voluntary association. That's one of the key factors of, you know, anarchy here. So what that means is that you don't want anybody born in these places to say, This is I'm I'm a citizen of this place. You don't want that. Why? Because you have, if you have people born in a nation, then you have inherent indoctrination. You have inherent nationalism. And as we see, that's very problematic. Because <laughs> people will be like, oh, it's my nation. Go to war for your nation. Do all this stuff for your place. Instead, you have, when people are born into a place, right? Maybe you expose them to um, a network. You say, hey, yes, you can raise your, ch- your children as, uh, as you want. But... It's also required to expose them to um, the network of, of places that you, they can they can go to. Of course, you're going to have plenty of people who stay in the same place that they had. But the idea here is that since you've exposed them in early childhood to the idea that there are other places that they can go, and whenever you know when they get older um, and they feel whenever they feel like they don't want to stay there. They have other places to go. You can say, all right, go to the next place. Go to the community next to you. Go to whatever place. And it's free thing. Like, people should not be able to keep their children in their house um, under uh, without their consent. And this goes deep into youth liberation as well. The idea that kids, yes, they're growing. Yes, they may not have the full, you know, um, control of their, their capacities. But... They're little humans, right? They have their own ideas and things like that. And, and if we want to have independently, if we want to have strong individualism and independence, then you have to teach people, you have to give people that freedom to make their choices. Say, hey, if you don't like what the parents are doing, you can go live with somebody else. So that's going to be huge for anarchic society. And how do you enforce that? Well, you have a task force. Who goes around every few years, maybe every two, five, you know, um, maybe even ten years, or maybe, maybe not, maybe two or five years. Goes around to different communities. You have a number of task forces, really. Goes around to these different communities and sees, you know, are there kids here that are, you know, <laughs> that have been stuck? You know, are there kids here who don't know about the wider world? If not, you can call up on your, you know, the, the federation of other anarchies and say, hey, this, this committee, they're trying to create a cult. You know, they're trying to create a, a nation state. And that's how you enforce the things. And that's how you enforce that freedom. So, again, 
anarchy societies based on pure actual freedom where you actually can choose which community you're part of you don't have to say oh i'm american just because i was born here you can say i'm american you know or whatever <laughs> your little community wants to call themselves i'm this because i chose to be here because I, I, I like their values, I appreciate what they do, I, I like their, their technology, their political stance, whatever, right? You can, you can choose it. I like their religion, whatever. The point here is voluntary. It has to be voluntary. And we have to have ways to enforce that voluntarism. Um, and then from there, pretty much everything else I think will sort itself out. So you have people... Um, they can create their own communities, their own religions, whatever they want to do. As long as they allow other people to, to move in and out. Maybe not in, you don't have to have people come in if you don't want to. But you can't, for, you can't force people to stay, to stay in. You have to allow, allow people to leave. Including kids. That's a huge part. And that's going to be hard. No, don't get me wrong. It's going to be hard for a lot of people to, 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 um, to admit to... Um, to do thinking like oh it's my kids I, 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 I birthed them I raised them like, I'm, I can do what I want and that's going to be hard so the big thing for, for this one is going to be figuring out you know how to how to do that how to encourage and enforce youth liberation in a human, humane way you, I don't think we want to go down the route of oh you can't raise your child, child. every time you you, you know you bury a child you have to go to this other place no 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 People can raise their children, but people have to allow their children to leave if they want. So that way, if you're if you're misparenting your child and your child doesn't like it, they can leave. They can run away to another place, and <laughs> there you go. That's that's your fault. You shouldn't have you know <laughs> been an asshole to your kid. And this might open the space for oh my kid just doesn't like the way I do things, and that's fine. That's the whole point, right? It's to make people see that. Your kids or anybody, right, shouldn't be forced to do what you want just because you think you're smarter or just because you think you're wiser or that you think you know what's best for them. The truth is you don't. You think you do, and maybe you might. Maybe you might. But you can't force that because the minute you force that, the minute you force that, you create... What's the what's the word? See, I always forget my words. This this would have been perfect too, <laughs> but you create um sub sub like sublim. No, oh, think what's the goddamn word? Basically, you create people who don't enjoy freedom, right? Who <laughs> who are willing to compromise their freedom, their individualism, their independence, right, for authority. And we see where that goes today. You create people who don't value freedom of choice. And we see where that goes. So if we really say we want to live in a society where people are independent, where people are free to do it as they will, have they have their freedom and can, you know, make their own choices and whatever, then we have to actually support that from the grounds up. That's going to be hard for a lot of people to swallow. It's going to be a bitter pill for people to swallow. But I want to paint that picture. I want to show people this is possible, and um, this is what it might look like. And the, what's what's the greatest thing about all this is that none of this is necessarily new, 
right? All of this is things that have been done before. Maybe not with blockchain, but like for instance, youth liberation, that's been how our society has worked for hundreds of thousands of years before, you know, um, we did settlement agricultural lives. Before that, you know, hunter-gatherer cultures, kids were, like I said many times before, kids were able to be self-sustainable, right? They were able to hunt and gather at a young age, at the age of five, six, right? They were able to sustain their own, you know, food uh, needs. They made their own choices. They, they, you know, led their own groups in, 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 in these different places, in these different uh, communities. If they disagreed with their, their parents or their, the group, they would leave. Most people didn't just leave just like that. It took a lot for, you know, somebody to leave. But it was there. It was an option. People could choose to leave and go to another another community. And it would be easier to do now because now you have the internet. <laughs> right? You can organize. You say, hey, I want to leave this place. I saw my Discord community. You know, they're located in this area, so I'm going to move over there. No problems. So, yeah, I think that's going to be super powerful. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Just to kind of sum it all up with the history and in terms of capitalism and sustainable um, a blockchain transparent system for capitalism and socialism. The history for that is actually the history of the first times of um, the first ledgers being created in Egypt and things like that, right? Where these people, like the first, the reason why people came up with math and, and financial ledgers was for finances, was to keep track of the resource that people had, right? Where initially, whenever, you know, um, society started creating farms um, in, in, in ancient Egypt, and when they, you know, wanted to sh begin living in cities with other farmers or with other people, and they sh they would share the grain in a, in a central silo, and they would you know put that on a ledger. And so, whenever you want to you know remove grain from there, you would remove it from that ledger, right? You would notate in the ledger, hey, I took out this amount of grain or this amount of you know whatever, and use it and use it how you will. Of course, it quickly <laughs> devolved into you know, a ruling class where the people who, who kept track of the ledger became, you know, had more power and all this other stuff. But that's the problem, right? Again, that's the problem of having a system where a certain humans can have more power over other people. You want a horizontal system, not a vertical system. The minute you introduce hierarchy into the equation, the minute you introduce cause for corruption, and for authoritarianism and for many of the problems that we have today. So yeah, that's kind of my idea so far. Again, this is just based on my intuition. I uh, might be wrong. I might completely change this stuff by the time I do more research and all that stuff. But that's roughly, you know, how I'm going to start this stuff out, I think. Those are roughly the societies I'm, I'm envisioning. And hopefully you can see that many, each of these, they're all promising, right? They're all better. The question is, which ones are more realistic? Which ones are more practical? Which ones are, you know, um, are people going to resonate more with? Whatever.
but ideally they're not mutually exclusive not really so if people really like these they can say let's pull a little bit from each of them right but yeah I'm super excited to move forward with that and to do more on that and uh, we'll see how that goes so as always thanks for listening Um, let me know what you do what you're thinking and all that other stuff and have a great day see ya bye bye